Welcome to the Holiday Moons Podcast, where we share our love for the holidays with you year-round. Hi, this is Cole Moon, and I'm continuing my series on the Universal Monster Movies with The Wolfman. Woo! <laughs> That's The Wolf. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. This is Sydney, and I will be talking about the 1988 Scooby-Doo and the Reluctant Werewolf. Gonna make your sound call? Hello. <laughs> <laughs> and this is Randy. I will be continuing our Thanksgiving series on breaking the turkey wishbone. <laughs> so, as always, we start with our holiday happenings for the week. So, what holiday happenings do we have this week? Today this one is probably that today, when we are recording, is Halloween Day. Yes, Yay. it's very unusual for us to record on a holiday, <laughs> but with yep. Halloween happenings tend to be in the evening, so we're recording this in the morning, getting ready yep. for the festivities later today. Everything's a little different in terms of like trick-or-treating with COVID. Normally, um, since I moved into town, I would have stuff out for trick-or-treaters. The outside of my house would be more decorated, but... And I know that some people are still doing forms of trick-or-treating. This year is a little, I guess, a little different in terms of not really having so much that activity. Yeah, I think there's less of the trick-or-treating and more other forms of Halloween festivities. And celebrating. uh, Parties and and things like that. Or, you know, parties with people you know, I guess. Right, um, right. Festivities with your friends. People talking about going to like haunted houses and stuff like that and corn mazes. Kind of because trick or treating is not so much a thing. This year, there's other things that you can stay a little more socially distanced, but still experience the Halloween element of things. Yes, absolutely. Um, And I'm having a big Halloween party with friends tonight. We're all dressing up in costumes and doing Halloween things inside my house is decked out. We'll have to post some pictures on the Holiday Moons page, Instagram, about all of these these fun decorations in here. Yeah, that's a great idea. Do you want to share what you're going to be for Halloween? Yeah, I am going as uh, Steve Irwin, Crocodile Hunter. Yes, not the Irwin that was um, Urkel. Yeah, mom was a little confused when I said the name. <laughs> well, it is close, so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I got the, uh, like, the pants and shirt and the blonde wig and, like, a little snake as an accessory that just goes around my neck at all times. So, it's a, it's a cute costume. You have to get someone to take a picture of it. You guys already said you wanted a picture of me and my girlfriend, whose costume I don't know because she's keeping it a secret from me. Which is very sad for me. <laughs> <laughs> and Sydney's also going to be dressed up for Halloween. She's got a cute, kind of witchy... It's a basic uh, witch. Basic witch. Well, why don't you describe it? Okay, cool. <laughs> so, I have a hoodie on that says basic witch. And I have these fun leggings. On one side, it is um, orange and black stripes. And the, on the other side, it's black with orange... Um, jack-o'-lantern faces it's it so, so cute it is and it's actually a, a really cute costume i um also found my witch's hat which is very elaborate yeah it's also witch sparkly it's very elaborate yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah i'm actually pretty happy with this this is really cute yeah it is mm-hmm. and we're gonna go to the anderson's house tonight for trick-or-treating and handing out candy still gonna Still need to figure out exactly how we're going to do that um, with them, but uh, I'm sure we'll figure that out and we'll share with you. And if you guys uh, had fun Halloween, you can feel free to share with us as well on our uh, social media. We also had uh, other holiday happenings over the uh, this past week. We had a turkey outside yesterday walking around in our yard just all by itself. Usually we see turkeys in little groups. Little. A lot of times there's like 20 at a time. There can be that many. Yeah. Uh, but this one was all by itself. I think it was a boy turkey. We have these berries that they really like. On the, yeah, on our shrubs. Bushes, yeah. yeah, that they have to kind of sometimes jump up to get. It's funny to watch them jump. Yeah. 
He had no sense of self-preservation. No. <laughs> Unless he knew it was too early for <laughs> Maybe. Thanksgiving. The Halloween stuff is almost completely pushed aside. And it is yeah. now Christmas. I think, Cindy, you said yesterday, Target pretty much had all their all Christmas their stuff Christmas up. All their Christmas trees up. There was like maybe half the employees back there, like putting everything on the shelves. And yeah, pretty soon, like the Halloween stuff is just going to go bye-bye. Yeah. And all Thanksgiving, whatever little Thanksgiving section that they have. This must usually a much smaller section anyway. Yeah. It's really just a little... What would you call it? A little blip between <laughs> Halloween and Christmas in the stores. Yeah. It's Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving, but it's from as far as decorations and things, it's a little blip. Mm-hmm. Another item is that normally we really enjoy the Disney TV specials that air right around Thanksgiving and then right around Christmas. They're always filmed at the parks, at least sections of them, and then they have other sections that are just other kind of music or whatever. So they've reimagined those for this year because they can't do the filming at the parks along the way. So they're going to have, on Monday, November 30th, the Disney Holiday Sing-Along. If you remember early in the COVID, they had a Disney Sing-Along that people really enjoyed, and then they did a second one. Um, So they're going to actually do a holiday one on November 30th. And then instead of the normal Disney Parks Parade for Christmas on Christmas Day... They're going to have a reimagined Disney Parks Magical Christmas Day Celebration. Disney Parks Magical Christmas Day Celebration on Christmas Day. So they're trying to figure out how to you know, change things around a little bit. They're also going to do some... So they're, they're trying to do some things that will be fun on TV as an alternative to the other events that they normally did. So uh, we'll actually be in Disney shortly after Thanksgiving. So we'll get to enjoy the holiday season down there. As a family. So that'll be fun. In whatever way it may be. Right. And the only other holiday happening I know of is that it is cool outside. Mm-hmm. Um, the fall weather has definitely hit. Like cold. Cold. It's yeah. Heading into cold. Like yeah. Northern Virginia where we hit 31 degrees this morning. Chilly in the house. So it definitely yeah. feels like it's getting to be Halloween Thanksgiving season. Getting to be sweater weather. Sweater weather. That's right. <laughs> that's what I remember that Saturday Night Live. Sweater weather. <laughs> Somebody might remember it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't even remember. I thought it was really funny because they kept saying it over and over again. It's sweater weather. All right, Cole, over to you. I'm sure that there will be some people dressing up in the classic werewolf costume this year. And that all kind of starts with the 1941 film, The Wolf Man, who does not look like necessarily a classic werewolf. Oh, it doesn't? Um... No, he just kind of looks like a very hairy guy with sharp teeth. Oh, interesting. When you think of a werewolf, you know, you think of, like, the snout and, like, wolfish face. Yeah. But Wolfman is actually Universal Mm -hmm. Pictures' second werewolf film. It was preceded six years earlier by Werewolf in London in 1935 which was much less commercially successful, hence the Wolfman being kind of the flagship werewolf character. Hmm. Lon Chaney Jr. stars as the Wolfman and would star in four Wolfman sequels, beginning with Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman, which I actually watched a few clips from too and is entertaining. (laughs) Brings two monsters together, right? So the plot begins with Larry Talbot returning to his ancestral home in Wales to reconcile with his estranged father after the death of his brother. While he's there, Larry becomes romantically interested in a local girl in an antique shop named Gwen, who also happens to be engaged, because nobody's really married in these movies. Everyone is engaged to someone else. That seems to be the uh, pattern in all four movies, actually, that I've gone through. Weird. <laughs> I wonder well, why. it makes sense, I, though, if that's his romantic attachment, especially for that time frame. They're not going to want to mess, mess up a marriage, but they could mess up an engagement, and that'd be fine. Right, right. But in the other films, sometimes it was the main character who was engaged. Oh, okay. I couldn't say why. So as a pretext uh, to talk to her... He purchases a silver-headed walking stick decorated with a wolf and a pentagram, which he's told is the symbol of the werewolves. Ooh. <laughs> which, 
of course, he doesn't really buy. His father doesn't really buy. Nobody but, like, the superstitious townsfolk buy it. That werewolves exist. As he's going around, various different villagers recite a poem to him. Whenever the subject of werewolves comes up, even a man who is pure in heart and says his prayers by night may become a wolf when the wolf's bane blooms and the autumn moon is bright. So I'm basically saying that you don't have to be an evil person to become a werewolf. Why are they reciting that to him? Because they see his walking stick? No, it's just when the subject of werewolves comes up. Oh, okay. It seems to be a poem that they were all maybe told from childhood or... Right, so they're just reciting it. Right, like it's a folk kind of thing. Like, you know, little kids recite the ABCs. In this town, this they recite this poem. <laughs> That's how they learn. Kind of like one of the towns that the Grimm brothers might have visited. Right. Right. They were like, we're going to go through and tell all of your children this poem. <laughs> that night, Larry, Gwen, and Gwen's friend Jenny go to have their fortunes read, where Jenny shows the fortune teller her palms, and the fortune teller sees the symbol of the pentagram on her palm, which means that she's going to be the werewolf's next victim. Yikes. When she comes out, they all are kind of separated, and Jenny starts screaming. Larry rushes to help her from what he believes to be a sudden wolf attack, beating the wolf to death with his silver cane, but he's bitten in the chest in the process. He returns to the castle where he lives... Uh, with his father, all distressed and his clothes are torn up, but the bite mark is now gone completely. So everybody is a little suspicious of everything going on, and eventually they have sort of hunting parties going all around the area looking for this wolf. I thought he beat it to death. Well, it's gone. Oh, okay, okay. Gotcha. It's gone, and... Not just that, when the wolf, when the hunting party goes out to find where the wolf attacked Jenny and Larry, they find the body of the fortune teller, who appears to have been beaten to death. Suspicious. Yeah. Very. So it's all all leading to the same thing. A gypsy fortune teller named Maleva reveals to Larry that the animal which bit him was her son, Bela, who was played by Bela Lugosi. Oh, that's funny. They went very creative with the name, in the form of a wolf. She also reveals that Larry will transform into a wolf as well, since he who is bitten by a werewolf and lives will also turn into one. She tries to give him a pentagram that he can wear over his heart, a silver one, I believe, to keep him from transforming, but, like, the minute that he walks away from the gypsy woman, Gwen comes up and she's like, how are you doing? And he's like, I got this pentagram, you should wear it. <laughs> Duh. You should have it. It's like, uh, he's kind of missing the point there. But the entire film kind of follows Larry becoming more and more, I guess, hysterical as a person. The, you really see the panic start to set in as he's not understanding what's happening. As he's turning into a werewolf and going out, and the first person that he kills is a local grave digger, he has some vague memories of being a werewolf and wanting to kill, and is struggling to overcome his condition. Finally, he escapes the castle. He had his father strap him to a chair to keep him from going anywhere. He escapes the castle and goes out among the hunting party, he had told his father to take his silver cane with him. In a stroke of, I guess you could say, irony, I don't know, maybe something like that. In his wolf form, he attacks his father and then is bludgeoned to death by his own silver cane, just like he did to the gypsy fortune teller. And then his father must watch it over as the werewolf transforms back into his son. And that's kind of where the, the movie ends. Oh, Gwen and his father staring at him in horror as he dies, having transformed back into a person. A tragic ending. Yeah, that is yeah, tragic. It's, if I had to say, you know, what the, the film was, 
it was a very it was a tragedy of a film and Larry Talbot was a very tragic character trying to be a good person but saddled with this evil that he didn't ask for and he got by being you know a good person and rushing to the aid of someone else right now it's interesting because when I talked about the invisible man I talked about some of the crazy groundbreaking effects and that was I believe the invisible man was 1933 okay yep the invisible man was 1933 so this one is 1941 so this is a full eight years later and the effects are fine (laughs) (laughs) interesting well and it's one of the things that you would kind of expect there to at least be an interesting sequence where he changes from wolf into man, where they could really play with practical effects uh, and some kind of visual tricks to make it really neat. But they just kind of show a shot of his legs, which fades, and then a shot of his legs a little hairier, which fades, and then a shot of his legs super wolf hairy. Oh, yeah, I can kind of picture that in my mind. Yeah, so it's not really even like they did it in a clever way that made it look hairier. It was just three cuts, essentially. Right. One fading into another. And the Wolfman himself looks like a very hairy person with kind of some exaggerated features, kind of a bulbous nose, sharp teeth, and a very early Justin Bieber-esque bowl cut. (laughs) Uh, yeah, that's very different from when I think of the Wolfman. Okay, yeah. But it's it's a very neat film. Dracula is kind of evil by nature, but he's charismatic. And Frankenstein is tragic and naive. The Wolfman is tragic and is kind of a victim of his circumstances. The Invisible Man was kind of a douche. Yeah, he was bad. Yeah, he, he was just, he was a jerk. He's, of all of them, he's the only one who I would describe as a cruel person. Yeah. Uh, which is interesting, because it really stands apart from, because the Wolfman was such a, a tragic, good-spirited person who was a victim of his circumstances. It really kind of highlights the similarity between all of these films, that being, you know, I guess, the tragic element of them. Right. And the difference that The Invisible Man had, which I thought was very interesting. Yeah. Uh, The makeup for The Wolfman, a series of makeups, took five to six hours to apply and an hour to remove. Hmm. It was extremely laborious to transform Cheney from the monster and back. Hmm. Jack Pierce had originally designed it for Henry Hull and Werewolf in London, but Hull argued that the disguise made no sense within the plots, since two characters had to recognize him even in his werewolf form. So they were able to recycle this for the Wolfman. He had to sit motionless for hours as the scenes were shot frame by frame, and at times he said he was left to remain sitting while the crew broke for lunch. Wow. Stakes. Not cool. No. Yeah. He even went as far as to say that special effects men drove tiny finishing nails into the skin on the sides of his hands so that they would remain motionless during close-ups. Good grief. It might have not been a special effects breakthrough, but clearly a lot of makeup invested in this film. Yeah. Sounds like it. Which makes sense for a werewolf. Yeah. All the extra hair and features. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Again, he would return and Frankenstein meets the Wolfman and be one of the most recognizable characters in the Universal Monster Movie Universe. My question that I want to know is, did the Wolfman ever meet the Scooby gang? Uh, well, no. So the problem was that he went on vacation and Dracula didn't have a Wolfman to run in his wacky races. (laughs) For Halloween to win prizes that he set up, yeah. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna level with you, Sydney. I'm gonna get real with you. 
It sounds like you're making this up. <laughs> <laughs> I know it does. It sounds like a really weird dream, like ap- yep. like one would have after watching like maybe The Wolfman or whatever. But it's not. It is the 1988 Scooby Doo and the Reluctant Werewolf. So I remember um, this would come around Halloween, um, like on the Cartoon Channel. So I always kind of ended up watching it, and I love Scooby Doo. So yeah, let's get into the plot. Okay, so here's what happens. Every year, all the classic Hollywood monsters, consisting of Frankenstein's monster, his wife Repulsa, a mummy, the witch sisters, Bojangles the skeleton, Dr. Jekyll slash Mr. Hyde, Swamp Thing, Dragonfly, and of course, the Wolf Man, gather at Count Dracula's castle in Transylvania for the Monster Road Rally. A road race similar to Wacky Races, awarding the winner with the Monster of the Year Award, as well as many other prizes as announced by Dracula's wife and co-host, Vanna Piera. So the Wacky Races were a a short-lived cartoon series Mm -hmm. where they would have basically all the cartoon characters from, I I guess it was Warner Brothers, whatever that group was, and it would be a whole mix of cartoon characters kind of crossing their worlds together to have these weekly car races that had a lot of wackiness associated with it. There were villains and there were like superheroes and there were like this Scooby and Shaggy types and Captain Caveman and just all the interesting cartoon characters. So this is kind of like that, it sounds like. Yeah, and think of it like Mario Kart almost. All kinds of wacky stuff that can happen. However... In this particular year, Dracula receives a postcard from the Wolfman stating that he has retired to Florida and thus will not be participating in any more races. <laughs> That's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Oh, by the way, like, the prizes consist of, like, the one I remember the most is, like, um, a vacation in the Black Abyss. And they, like, open the curtain and it's literally black nothingness. And all the monsters are like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Okay. So Dracula fears that they will have to cancel the race due to this sudden absence because apparently they can't have it without the Wolfman. Luckily, Dracula's wolf-like minion, Wolfgang, also notifies him of a way to create a new werewolf. And after searching an old book for information, it is revealed that every five centuries, the full moon comes into the perfect position to transform a human into a werewolf. On three nights in a row that begin their timeline the following night. So, you know, quinky dink. So the person who's next in line to become the new werewolf, who do you think that is? Uh, Shaggy? Yes. Why? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So Shaggy um, recently demonstrated his skills on the racetrack by winning a car race with the help of his pet dogs that serve as his pit crew, Scooby-Doo, and bear with me here, Scrappy do. <laughs> so Dracula sends his hunchbacked henchmen, the Hunch Bunch, <laughs> uh, consisting of the unintelligent, incomprehensible Crunch and the sly, well-articulated Brunch <laughs> uh, to America on a mission to turn Shaggy into a werewolf and bring him back to the castle for that race. Wait, so him specifically? They yeah. don't just like happened to bump into him and he's convenient? No. No, in fact, we, we talked earlier that Shaggy was next in line. Why he was next in line to be the next werewolf, we don't know. Yeah. Okay. Right. So, this is just one of the instances where it's like, okay. So, on the first night, the Hunch Bunch attempt to cut a hole in the roof above Shaggy's bedroom to let the moon shine on him. Because, you know, that's the first logical step. However, Scooby learns of their plans and rescues Shaggy just in time before his transformation could begin, but fails to convince Shaggy and Scrappy of the Hunch Bunch's presence. The second night, they go after Shaggy while he is shopping with Scooby at a supermarket, but again miss their window due to their own incompetence. On the final night, while the trio is at a drive-in movie along with Shaggy's girlfriend, Okay, guess her name. Uh, Shaggy's girlfriend's name. Uh, Mary Jane. What is it called? I guess Mary Jane. I'm going to say Priscilla. Shaggy's girlfriend? I know. Like, who's going to date Shaggy? 
Rude. <laughs> somebody, there's somebody for everybody. Ruth. Googie. Googie. Yes. Shaggy and Googie. Yeah. Moki. Yeah. I don't <laughs> think I've ever seen her again, but, you know, in this particular place, she has a short blonde hair. The Hunch Bunch managed to expose Shaggy Moonlight by dropping the sunroof of his customized race car with a push of his button, causing Shaggy to be transformed into a werewolf. Um, however, an unexpected anomaly cuts the Hunch Bunch's celebration short when they learn that Shaggy's hiccups are forcing him to alternate between human and werewolf, as <laughs> hiccups do. <laughs> oh, this is weird. <laughs> yeah. But at the first part, like, Chuggy has no idea what's going on, right? So it's interesting to see people's reactions to him, like, suddenly transforming. Googie sends Shaggy, again, she didn't, she hasn't noticed yet either, to the snack bar for something to cure his hiccups. Um, and he attracts horror from the other movie watchers along the way. He transforms back and forth, and the snack guy at first is, like, totally chill about it and just kind of confused. But then, like, all of a sudden... Like, a bunch of people just start that mob mentality, including, like, policemen, and they're all, like, trying to chase Shaggy, and... So the Hunch Bunch attempt to abduct Shaggy, who flees from them, and then is chased by said crowd that I was talking about when they see him as a werewolf. Upon meeting Scooby and seeing Shaggy's reflection, Shaggy flees the drive-in with his car, Scooby, Scrappy, and Googie in tow. Googie. I know. Um, they escape his pursuers with the car's customized features, losing his hiccups in the pursuit, thus remaining trapped in werewolf form. The Hunch Bunch then knocks the group out with moon dust from their vehicle. Because they have that. By the way, they, their vehicle is like a helicopter. Okay. The Batcopter, as they call it. And fly back to Transylvania, towing the car and the people. And the dogs. Mm. Upon... Reviving the group and cementing their predicament is indeed happening because they're like not believing it at first right. because it's totally ridiculous. After convincing them, Dracula informs Shaggy that he was turned into a werewolf in order to fulfill the missing slot in his monster road rally. The Wolfman's slot, if you right. remember all the way back yes, to the right. beginning, <laughs> to the the beginning of, of this, this. Yes. convoluted. Right. So Shaggy has absolutely no desire to be a werewolf or to be in this race, and he is not happy with his current situation and refuses to participate. Dracula attempts to pressure Shaggy, speaking of pre-race parties and all its rewards, showing the awards for the race, and imprisoning Shaggy and his gang in a guest room, locking them in a trapped room during their attempt to escape, all that kind of shenanigans. Um, how ultimately, however, Shaggy still refuses, and Dracula finally offers him a bargain. If Shaggy agrees to drive in the race, and if he happens to win, Dracula will change him back to a human and allow him and his friends to leave. The deal is made, but Dracula is still determined to double-cross Shaggy and keep him as a werewolf. Rude. I know. You can never trust Dracula. I know. I know, yeah. dealing with Dracula. Dracula. <laughs> yeah. The gang is given good lodgings and treated as guests in the castle, allowed all the food they wish for breakfast, which is important to Shaggy and Scooby. Yeah, I was, was going to say, that's actually a big yeah. benefit to them. Dracula then shows them the trail that Shaggy will have to follow for the race and consents to let them navigate the track in their own race car with the werewolf wagon currently undergoing maintenance for Shaggy. Dracula attempts to rig the track through sending the Hunch Bunch to implement traps, but despite their efforts, Shaggy continues throughout the course. So, and it's interesting when they first start, right? Because all the monsters are in this race, and they all start at the, the starting line, and literally their cars are just like, I just think of them as floats, right? So you have like, the witch sisters, and they have, like, a full-size cauldron in the back of their car. Okay. And one of them is just, like, stirring as the other is, like, racing. Yes, yeah, like racing floats. Yeah. Yeah. And then, like, um, the mummy's car is, like, all wrapped up in, like, purple... I don't know what mummies are wrapped up in, but cloth, I guess. I yeah. don't know. Then you have, like, the dragonfly. He's, like, in a dragon-like <laughs> car. You have the Frankenstein and his wife, and they... They have, like, Frankenstein arms on their cars. <laughs> and, like, the whole thing is, like, just completely insane. Because, like, the witches at one point, like, pour their potion 
on the road, and I think everybody, like, starts slipping and sliding behind them. Yeah. And then at one point, like, somebody, like, extends a claw out of their car and grabs one another car and pulls it back. Yeah. And just all that kind of wackiness that ensues. But Dracula is not part of the race. So Dracula is um, commentating. And so you see, like, a TV screen, and he's, like, commentating throughout all of this. That's funny. And so is his wife. So sometimes, like, Shaggy will, like, get away from a certain situation. She'll, like, say something nice about it, and he won't be happy. She also, like, calls him, like, stupid nicknames, like, Dracky or something like that. But he can also turn into a bat. So sometimes... Right. So sometimes when the Hunchbunch, like, just aren't getting it right, like, he either goes and visits them or he tries to do it himself. He gets other monsters in the race, like a blob monster or a mud monster that tries to eat Shaggy in the car. But Googie and Scrappy are in another car. It's hard for me to take this whole thing seriously, Sydney, (laughs) when you say Googie. I know. (laughs) Let alone Scrappy, right? But they're in another car or helicopter, and they help help Shaggy and Scooby navigate throughout the race. So if they get stuck, Googie and Scrappy can go and help them get out of whatever they're in. Whatever scrap they're in. (laughs) Yes. Also, everybody else conspires against Shaggy and Scooby. So Shaggy and Scooby cross the finish line first, and they win. Okay. So furious that all of his schemes have failed, Dracula refuses to reverse the spell, stating that there is no way to turn Shaggy back. However, Vanapyra reveals that the solution is in Dracula's spellbook, because, again, like, she's, she's not the brightest bulb in the chandelier. I mean, like... <laughs> in Dracula's chandelier. Yeah, like, she's, <laughs> like, um... She's fair. The gang steals the book and make an escape. Dracula, chase af- Dracula chases after them in his weaponized car, because all these cars are weaponized, and then his own plane after the car is destroyed in the chase. The four only barely managed to dodge Dracula's powerful gadgets, and seconds before Dracula gets the best of them, a thunderstorm ensues and Dracula's plane is struck by lightning, sending him plummeting into the ocean below where he is chased off by a shark. Oh. Yay! Yay! In the end, back home, Googie uses the book to change Shaggy back to normal. That night, the gang all sit down together to watch another horror movie and eat pizza. Because this obviously wasn't a dream after watching horror movies. (laughs) (laughs) In the final scene, Dracula and the Hunchbutch sneak up to their window and menacingly announce their return as the film ends. So that was like a lot. That was a lot. That's a lot. I take it. It is a a very cute movie. Very fun. Typical Scooby-Doo, Shaggy, Scooby shenanigans. The gang is not in here. It is focused. Just the Scooby, Shaggy, Shaggy, and extras. Right. And Scrappy and Goo Goo. Is it Googie? Googie. Googie. Yeah. Goo Goo. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's just ridiculous. Who knows? Googie, goo goo. Yeah. I suggest it for kids if kids, you know, because none of the monsters are scary. Nothing in it is scary. It's just the typical fun shenanigans. And yeah, check it out. I'm just disappointed that Scrappy made it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, like, he wasn't like maybe just a casualty. Or, <laughs> he had to sacrifice himself, and we were all like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> he was chased by the shark, huh? Yeah, not Scrappy. <laughs> Right. Yeah, it was cracking me up in the live action one where Scrappy um, ends up being the villain. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> so dumb. But, so but I think I was not surprised. But no one was. That Scrappy was a villain in one yeah. of them? Yeah. Because he had like a, what, a couple minute cameo and then was never referenced again. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Well, that was very fun. But we do know that this is actually Thanksgiving season. Even though today's Halloween here... In listening land, it's actually Thanksgiving season. And really, you know, once tomorrow hits, it's Christmas season. Mm, right? Because really. Thanksgiving is the precursor holiday to Christmas. It's part of the Christmas season in some people's point Mom's of view. rolling her eyes. <laughs> <laughs> but I talked about the last two episodes, some of the traditions we have on Thanksgiving Day. We talked about watching the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. We talked about watching the National Dog Show. And for us, after those two things are done, the food is in the oven, the smells are just all over, 
And we sit down and eat. And we feast. And they feast, 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 feast. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So what are some of your guys' favorite foods on the feast table for us? Oh, good Lord. <laughs> I think they're all favorite foods. Yeah, I know. I, I like the stuffing a lot and the mashed potatoes and gravy. But I, I like our... Um, Sweet potato casserole. Sweet potato casserole, yeah. too. But you, you also do a really good job with the turkey, and like yeah. it's very like moist. And, I was yeah. about to say. Yeah. No, I didn't know that we uh, were including pie on the table here. <laughs> <laughs> that's an easy win. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah. But for the main event, pre-dessert, for me, it's the turkey. In fact, I get so excited uh, about the idea of going to Disney right after Thanksgiving because we can take all our turkey leftovers (laughs) with us. And And, we have. And we have. And it makes me want to get an even bigger turkey to have even more leftovers to take with us and down to Disney for our trip. Just just to note, you always want a bigger turkey. Well, okay, that's true. (laughs) And we we have a really big turkey. Yes. I can eat leftovers every day of turkey and stuffing. Yeah. And just for reference, too, though, Mom only makes turkey once a year. Sadly, that is true. (laughs) So, (laughs) like, whatever we get, whatever big turkey we get, that's what Dad gets. That's right. Now, when I grew up, my mom made turkey for Thanksgiving and Christmas. Mm -hmm. Beth has refused that tradition. (laughs) And she makes ham for Christmas, which I also love, but not as much as turkey. Part of the fun of the turkey is the wishbone. For me, yeah, <laughs> I, I grew up and we would, you know, we would have the tradition of kind of digging the wishbone out, letting it dry, and then, you know, somebody would usually, you know, snap it between them. I think I always did with somebody. I don't yeah, know. Shocking. <laughs> I, I don't know. It could be true. Uh, but I do remember that as kids. So when my kids were growing up, I was excited to share that tradition with them. Getting the wishbone, you make a wish. And then Sidney Cole would break it, and whoever got the larger side, they would get their wish, and the person with the smaller side would just have to live with not getting their wish. Well, and isn't there a certain way that you have to break it? Well, we'll get into that in a little bit. (laughs) But what are your guys' memories, I'll let Cole go first, of breaking the wishbone? Well, I have nothing but good memories of breaking the wishbone, which may be a contrast to my lovely sister, all right, so Sydney, your memories? Who's crossing her arms right yeah. now? I don't and have her good, legs. I don't have good memories of that. Refused to do it ongoing anymore. Yes. So my memories is that a certain somebody would always stick his finger up to the top and break it that way, and then I'm left with, okay, I'm trying not to get my finger in the same spot that it's actually going to break. And did you win or lose? I always lost. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll talk about why you lost uh, and whether or not that is a form of cheating that Cole did. It may not be. So we'll, we'll have well, to... Well, unless you know you're cheating, unless you know the rules, it's not cheating. Well, exactly. Right. So the history of breaking the wishbone actually goes all the way back to ancient Italian civilization. Italian? Known, yeah. Known as the Etruscans. First, what is the wishbone for those of you that may not know? The wishbone is located between their neck and their breast and is formed by the fusion of the bird's clavicles at the base of its sternum. This elastic bone is crucial for the bird's flight mechanics. It serves as a spring that holds and releases energy while the bird flaps its wings attempting to fly. Turkeys do fly. A lot of times people don't think turkeys fly. But they do. Beth and I have seen flocks of turkeys fly in Pennsylvania when we were visiting our aunt and uncle. I know. Did you remember seeing them way we, high yes. up in trees? We thought they were like squirrel nests way up in the tree because there were these big blobs up there. And as you got closer, you realized it's a big flock of turkeys it's way up in the flock, trees. Yeah. yeah, it was crazy. It was. So the wishbone breaking game has been around since the days of Plymouth Rock. In fact, it originated uh, longer ago than that, as I mentioned. So the Etruscans were a civilization in ancient Italy about 800 years, at least 800 years B.C., who practiced bird divination, or using birds as oracles who were a source of predicting the future. They used live chickens who pecked at Etruscan letters on the ground to divine the answers to questions about the future. Chickens are very wise. <laughs> and when chickens were <laughs> yeah, killed... Yeah, that's what I think of when I think of those chickens. <laughs> <laughs> when chickens were killed, they would put the wishbone, officially known as the furcula, 
on the ground in the sun so the people could touch it and continue to use the chicken's oracle power even after its death. People would touch the bone and make a wish as they did, which is why we commonly call it the wishbone. So the Romans absorbed some of the Etruscans' cultural traditions, including bird divination and using the wishbone as a source of granted wishes. Over time, instead of wishing on bones on the ground, the Romans would grapple over the wishbone and break it, with the victor being the person who broke the large part of the bone off. So you see the Romans took kind of over the known world. They absorbed many traditions from around uh, the world. I was thinking the same thing, yeah. Including this one of bird divination. But instead of having the nice, oh, there's the wishbone, touch, touch, touch. They were like, give it to me, give it to me. And they broke it. And they're like, oh, I am the winner, which sounds very Roman, doesn't it? It does. So then the Romans traveled around the world. They spread their culture and traditions, which they had gathered from many other cultures, all over with them. And when they reached the British Isles, the wishbone tradition caught on with people living in Britain. The English colonists who came to America brought this tradition along with them just in time to introduce it as part of the first Thanksgiving. The first record of a wishbone being used in England as a means of divination happened in 1455. A goose wishbone called a Mary Thought in England. Oh, Mary Thought. That's nice. It is nice. Was used to divine the weather on St. Martin's Day, which is a harvest celebration that falls in November, just like Thanksgiving. Yeah, that would sound ridiculous, but we use, what, um, a woodchuck to do the same thing? Yeah, that's right. That's right. film. Yeah. Yep, you're right. So Mary Thoughts, as they were called, were sometimes broken between two single people. The person who got the longer side of the bone was then predicted to be the one who got married first. Then, as we move into the United States, where, again, they bring all those traditions from Britain and France and Spain and all those kind of places into the Americas. In 1842, the Mary Thought was called a wishbone in an article in the Sun newspaper of Baltimore, Maryland, and is the first known mention of the word referring to the bone in the turkey as a wishbone in the United States, even though we know that the tradition right, went back so even much. further. Yeah. It's, a lot of times it's, a, it's something in the newspaper that kind of establishes it for people. Right. Mm-hmm. It kind of spreads it uh, yeah. beyond kind of local regional things right. along the way. That's right. So what is kind of happening with breaking the wishbone? So it really comes down to physics. So as Newton's third law of motion states, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Considering the action of wishbone breaking as the force of pulling the wishbone apart with a hand, and then the reaction of wishbone breaking as the bone pushing back against your hand. So the wishbone will break in half when the force of action is greater than the force of the reaction. Or, in layman's terms, when the mutual tug from both players is greater than the bone's ability to hold itself together. So technically, that's how the wishbone breaks into two. Yet achieving the larger half of the bone is, this, is a different story. Some would argue that standing still and letting your opponent do all the work is the key to success. For others, there's no single formula for winning the wishbone game. Rather, it takes strength, skill, and a bit of luck. So here's some tips for the wishbone game. First of all, have dry hands. Your sweaty post-Thanksgiving food coma hands aren't going to do you any favors. Try wiping your hands on a paper towel or dish towel beforehand. Or if you're very serious about your wishbone breaking game, you may even consider coating them in rosin. Number two, proper hand placement. You'll want to grasp the wishbone between your thumb and your forefinger as close to the center point as possible. Three, leverage. Hold the wishbone in your dominant hand. That means you're the one, you know, if you're right-handed, you put it in your right hand. Using your non-dominant hand... Press back against the counter or some other nearby <laughs> surface. Wow. Uh, bonus points for pushing against your opponent. <laughs> <laughs> that, that sounds very Roman, doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Four, endurance. Breaking the wishbone sometimes takes... Roman. What's that? Toss a net over your opponent. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Sabotage. That sounds like a, um, a wacky race thing. Yeah. <laughs> Number four, endurance. Breaking the wishbone sometimes takes more than just an instantaneous yank. It can take several minutes sometimes. Number five, be sneaky. When you want to slip away from the dining table 
tiptoe to the kitchen while the wishbone still drying out. Assess the wishbone, which side appears stronger. Make sure you get the good side. <laughs> and there's actually a little poem that was popular in the 1800s with the wishbone. It goes like this. The first person says, what color is the grass? The second person says, green. The first person says, what goes up the chimney? The second person says, smoke. Then together you say, may your wish and my wish never be broke. <laughs> and then you snap it in two. Is that ridiculous? <laughs> it sounds kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> so what happens if the wishbone breaks in three pieces? Do you know? No. Neither of you get your wish. Yep, so it's got to be two. Now, does it, like, include you breaking the other person's piece because you're so freaking upset? Maybe if someone is very angry about the results of the wishboning. No, once it's broken in two, the one with the bigger half gets the wish. If you then choose to break the bigger half into tiny little pieces, it doesn't matter <laughs> at all. The person still gets their wish. Yeah, they probably had a stupid wish anyways. <laughs> Did you hear that, Sydney? <laughs> so there's no way to guarantee that you can win because it does depend on what's going on with the, with the wishbone itself, which you can't see from the outside. But they did say the best way to win is to choke up on the wishbone. And I don't know if you've ever choked up on a bat, but that means you go higher on the bat, right? Yeah, I would also say it also requires the two people to have almost equal strength. <laughs> By grabbing higher up the bone... The shorter distance lowers the torque and the potential for stress on your side. Sounds like something a very smart person would think of. Yes, and that, is, that was always Cole's technique. Now, I will say, some people do consider that cheating, mm -hmm. like Sydney, uh, <laughs> across the wishbone... Breaking world. Breaking world, yeah, across, across that whole group of people that monitors these things, I guess. I, guess. I don't know. But Scientific American said that was the best advice, was to choke up. Because you're putting less stress on your side of the wishbone and more on the other person's side of the wishbone. Uh, so I will say one year, we actually soaked the wishbone in vinegar. And we thought it would help preserve it. Who knows what we were thinking. And where we found the information, right? right? But it tried lots of experiments. <laughs> but it made the wishbone completely gumby. You could not break that wishbone. It was like a piece of rubber. It just went... <laughs> which was ridiculous. Maybe that's why... Uh... The people put it in whatever thing I found and thought, ha <laughs> that's, um, that's what these homeschool people. That's right. It did preserve it. It did. And nobody got their wish that year. Do you remember the TV show Friends? Yeah. Of course. Mm -hmm. I see little snippets of it here and there. And one was when Joey and I think, I think Rachel were breaking the wishbone. And Joey used three fingers, the thumb and the dominant two fingers, and he choked up. He had his up yes. to the top. And Rachel didn't. And when they broke, his was the big one. Yep. And I thought, they're not doing it the same. Is that cheating? You almost need to, to make it Sydney's fair. Sydney's little, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to make it fair, you always have to do this, like have the same grip and then break. And then it's more yeah. random. And I think the key is to just decide ahead of time. Are you going to use Roman right. rules, which is anything goes, <laughs> right. right? Pushing, shoving, choking <laughs> up. <laughs> That's right. Nets over your opponent, whatever it may be. Or are you going to use more genteel? Hey, we're not going to... You can't put your fingers above this point. Or right? you can both put them... You have to put them above this Or you point. have to put them at the same whatever, point. Whatever it is, you know, yeah. I think that it might be a fair rule if you wanted to do it. Just like, as long as your hand is on your side of the wishbone, <laughs> any you want. You should see Sydney's face That's the right Roman now. rules call. Yeah. <laughs> and Sydney is not no, agreeing. No. Roman rules, as you described them, was a free-for-all. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you're right. That was probably a little... That's with my trident. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Right. Yeah, so I think uh, at some point, Sydney just stopped playing it all, yeah, and I, I think did. you and I did it. I refused. Cole and I, and yeah. I think ended up doing it. Because that's much more fair and even. Yeah. 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 When, you lose, when you lose anything a certain number of times yeah. in a row, then you just lose your yeah, yeah. taste for it, so... Taste for it. Got it. <laughs> little pun there. little turkey pun. So I hope that you have a fun Thanksgiving and that you can settle the rules ahead of time about how you're going to handle the yep. turkey. If you have two turkeys, then you can do this. You have like a little competition. Three yeah. turkeys. You can have 
you know, maybe playoffs kind yeah. of thing. So you this is play- Randy's uh, dream <laughs> Thanksgiving. Yeah, you can play a prank and soak one of them in vinegar. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and just sit back and laugh as they're trying to trying break to, it. Yeah, the the rubbery substance <laughs> doesn't want to break. Yep. Yes. Yeah, so I encourage you to to uh, have fun with that and to try to make it fair so everybody has the same rules and can have fun doing it and see who gets their wish. Our future festivities are for the week of November sixteenth. November 16th is Have a Party with Your Bear Day. November 17th, National Take a Hike Day. November 18th, Mickey Mouse's Birthday. November 19th, National Play Monopoly Day. Got to set the whole day aside for that one. November 20th, National Peanut Butter Fudge Day. I know it. What day is that? November November 20th. Right before Thanksgiving. Yeah. You don't need to remember that because you can make the best peanut butter fudge. But the next day, November 21st, is National Gingerbread Cookie Day. Okay, that's Sydney. That's right. (laughs) November 22nd is Go For a Ride Day. You can always follow us on social media. On Twitter, we are at holiday underscore moons. On Instagram, we are at holiday moons. On Facebook, you can put holiday moons in the search bar. We have a Facebook group and a Facebook page that we post at. And you can contact us at any time at holidaymoons at gmail.com. So for Beth, Cole, Sydney, and Randy, Happy Thanksgiving! Thanksgiving.